as far as I'm aware, uh, there are no public vacation rental REITs. And I think that's sort of the interesting thing that, that all three platforms offer is that if investors are super keen on getting exposure into the vacation rental asset category, this is sort of the, the lowest barrier to entry way, either investing through Techfester or Arrived or whatever else. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at spontaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet three incredible entrepreneurs building wonderful businesses in the short-term rental space. You'll re-meet John Andrew Entwistle, founder and CEO of Wander, and Steve Kafagi, co-founder and CEO of Techfester. And then you'll meet, for the very first time, Cameron Wu, VP of Investments at Arrived. I invited these incredible gentlemen onto the podcast for a panel discussion on the future of fundraising, portfolio building, and passive investing in short-term rentals. I've been curious, as I'm sure many of you all have been, how these short-term rental funds, REITs, and other forms of fractional ownership of vacation rentals businesses are actually panning out. And so I thought it'd be fun to bring some of the finest folks who are working in the arena to share their stories and insight with you all. In this vibrant chat, You'll learn how these businesses overlap and also how they're distinct, how the strategies for each business have evolved given the changes we've seen in the macroeconomic environment over the last year, why today's consumers are ready for alternative forms of real estate investment, what exit strategies for each of these companies might make sense, and loads more. Moderating discussions with such incredible people is always hard, folks, and while we didn't get to half of the questions I had hoped to because of time, I believe there's so much value to be garnered from this discussion around how the industry as a whole is evolving and what these entrepreneurs believe the future of travel, hospitality, and vacation rental investing just might look like. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet John Andrew, Seif, and Cameron. All right, folks, we are live. It is it is not often that we get to do this on this podcast, but I've got not one, not two, but three guests with me on this episode of Behind the Stays. And I am thrilled to have the opportunity to chat with these gentlemen. Two of them, you might remember, I've had both Seif Kafagi and John Andrew uh, from from Wander and and Techvester on the podcast before. I've got a new friend here, Cameron, uh, from, from Arrive. So Cameron, good to meet you for the first time. Excited to dive into this conversation. But just a little bit of context for the listeners before before we dive in here. So I, I've been asked a lot by friends of mine and, and listeners of the podcast to do an episode around all these like STR funds that keep popping up and these like alternative competitors to Airbnb that people are starting to see. And some, some of the questions I get from from folks is, are you know well, what's actually happening here? Like, are, are there like how how do you decipher between you know the the good and the bad? And can you make real money with these STR funds? And so I, I thought it would be fun to just bring some of the people who are doing the work right day in and day out right now to solve these like big big problems and these 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 huge opportunities. So, gentlemen, thank you first and foremost for just making time in your very busy lives to to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, super stoked. Yep. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us. Well, great. Thanks, Just, thanks, Zach. 
just so folks get used to your voices, let's just do a quick little uh, intro. So, so Cameron, why don't you kick us off? Tell us your, your name and uh, a little bit about what you do at Arrived. Yeah, name's Cameron Wu, our VP of Investments, and I run our investments team at Arrived. So we acquire real estate and we manage it on behalf of our investors. And we currently offer two uh, products, long-term rentals, as well as vacation rentals. Wonderful. And then Seif, why don't you go next? So I'm uh, one of the co-founders over at TechBuster. We're one of the first institutional grade short-term rental funds. Uh, we buy real estate all across the country, manage it on behalf of our passive LPs. Um, and to date, we've raised a little over $65 million in equity and in about 120 properties. Fantastic. And last but certainly not least, John Andrew. Hey, yeah. Again, thanks so much for having me. My name is John Andrew, uh, founder and CEO of Wander. Um, really just verticalizing the vacation rental space. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for for taking the time to chat, guys. So I, I want to give you a little bit of op an opportunity to just kind of share the quick elevator pitch for your for your business. You guys are uh, in leadership positions, if not the founders of these organizations. So you're probably used to doing this, whether it be to investors or, or talent that you're trying to acquire. John, Andrew, let's start with you. What's just like the quick kind of like 15, 30 second elevator pitch for for what Wander is? Yeah, <clears throat> I think the easiest way to think about Wander as sort of the hotelification of vacation rentals. Um, you know, obviously vacation rentals are a growing part of lodging, yet when you zoom out <clears throat> to broader hospitality, you see all these recognizable brands, think Four Seasons, Ritz Carlton, et cetera. Yeah. And the idea behind Wander is that that's gonna come to vacation rentals, that the same way that you book a Four Seasons, that you're gonna book a, a Wander or whatever else. And so that's that's what the whole company is, is about and behind, and, and really it's all in the mission of of having our travelers be as, as happy as possible. Yeah, and I feel like you guys have done um, a, a lot in just even like the brand space. I feel like more and more people are becoming aware of Wander. I actually had a buddy the other day for the very first time say, oh yeah, I'm thinking of booking a Wander uh, in the same way that we would all say, I'm thinking of booking an Airbnb, which was just really, really, really cool. So you know, props to you and the team for for the work there. Steve, what about you? What What's sort of the, the elevator pitch for what TechVestor is? Yeah. So, you know, I think on the contrary to uh, John, Andrew and Wander, what we're doing is we're focusing more on middle of the road, single family homes, where we're creating and curating really fantastic experiences for guests. Um, but more importantly, as well, for our LPs, we're, we're providing what we call the STROS, right? Short-term rental operating system, where we handle everything end-to-end -end acquisition, design, renovation, management through and through. And, you know, Airbnb as an asset class is something that we firmly believe in. And we completely agree with John Andrew's positioning on you know, short-term rentals and where they're headed in the future. Um, and what we want to do is allow people to invest in this asset class without doing any other work, mm. right? While also making sure we provide an incredibly um, amazing guest experience that, you know, I think most people oftentimes have those horror stories from traditional short-term rentals. And we focus on these really great amenitized homes that you kind of leave and you're like, wow, that was pretty, pretty incredible. I, I don't know if this is actually true, but in Zach's world, it's true. I, I believe that TechVestor was the first to have like a s slide, like a bunk bed slide in like an Airbnb that I've ever seen. And so I love that you guys are taking this really cool approach of putting unexpected amenities into sort of like more traditional spaces. It's, it's not something that you see every day. And it's it's really cool to see, especially through the lens of like Taylor Jones, who's very active on social media, who I know is a, a, a key constituent on your team there. It's really cool to follow uh, your all story through through his lens. Uh, again, last but not least here, Cameron, talk to us a little bit about Arrived, specifically the work that you guys are doing in, in the short-term rental asset class. 
Yeah, sounds great. So Arrived is a fractional real estate platform that is open to both accredited and non-accredited investors. What we really solve is a problem of time capital expertise that where you would need all three to be able to competently invest in real estate. So much like Seif's uh, organization, we take care of things from top to bottom from acquiring through managing. And about a year ago, we started our vacation rental product where we are investing in homes in the range of 600000 to a million dollars. And when you think about uh, that solving that problem of time, capital, and expertise, those types of homes are often inaccessible to people. Mm. A very small digit, a single digit percentage of people own investment real estate, much less the larger single family vacation rental homes. So we're just a platform to empower access $100 at a time for any long-term rental investment and short-term rental investment. In terms of your your core constituent, I, your core constituency, I know that you guys are pretty new to launching the vacation rental uh, uh, product, but like, what are what what are the age ranges roughly of of your investors? Like, are are you guys seeing a kind of a huge uptick in folks writing one hundred, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars sort of like commitments here, or what what can you tell us about how the product is performing so far? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So we really have two primary profiles of investors. We have the learning investor, hmm. and then we have the more experienced investor who was active and is now looking to go completely passive. So naturally, the latter type has more capital. They're further along their investing journey. So, um, you know, they are larger investors on the platform, but, you know, our uh, benefit here is really diversification across a large range of assets at those accessible price points, whether you're investing $100 at a time or say $10,000 into each investment that we have. So the other side of the profile is really that learning investor who is kind of a millennial or Gen Z investor um, looking to invest in real estate, build up equity, but may not be a traditional homeowner yeah. or participant in the real estate market, uh, such as their parents or grandparents, um, but looking to uh, dip into their toes. And we find that for vacation rentals, it's a similar cohort. So we don't find that there's too many differences between the long-term rental investor or the short-term rental investor. They're primarily looking for access and diversification across a large number of assets. In terms of that like learning investor uh, persona, if you will, uh, have, how have you seen that grow in, in like the last year? Is it is it growing pretty pretty significantly? Is it is it is the growth you know pretty comparable to the last you know few years? I ask sim simply because right there's a lot of folks who maybe had planned to buy a, a home and now that interest rates are are where that they are, they might decide to rent a little bit longer. Right? I've got several friends in in my circle who were really close to pulling the trigger on on their first home and then decided, hey, you know, I'm I'm going to wait till things cool down, hopefully uh, a bit. So just curious how that has affected. Uh, your 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 learning investor audience. Yeah, that's a great point. We have seen an acceleration of the number of investors coming on the platform, and they tend to invest at smaller amounts. And you know, we don't know the full scope of capital behind those couple of initial investments, but definitely, since interest rates have gone up. It commensurate with that. It's like our user base has been ticking up kind of as an alternative where if they aren't able to put the 10% down and then get the affordable mortgage like you could during the pandemic, we are seeing that uptick in people switching into, say, a more accessible investment point. Yeah, yeah, super, super interesting, John Andrew. I want to go over to you because you know you've got Wander's got a lot going on, um, and I, I specifically want to talk about like the Wander REIT and how that kind of compares to the the arrived model that Cameron just outlined for us. What can you just do a little bit of comparing and contrasting for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, arrived is like a really epic platform. I'm actually like a user, so you know, big big props there. Uh, <laughs> 
And then also like, yeah, to the point of Techvestor's operations, it's like wild how many properties they onboard and set up and like the guest experience. So like big, big props to you lads. Um, yeah, regarding the the Wander Re, so on arrived, and someone should correct me if I'm wrong here, the user actually has this really cool option of being able to select which properties they buy shares in. And so that sort of allows you to create like your own portfolio, if you would. On, on Wander's side with the Wander Re, it's a little bit different in sort of two categories. Number one is it's it's really just a fund, right? It's a it's a REIT, so you don't yeah. get to select individual shares of individual properties. They're all sort of contributed into the REIT, and then obviously they generate related dividends. The other thing with with Wander is that our assets are a little bit chunkier, so we're really going for homes that are between one and a half and three million dollars, and really going towards the the luxury end of the market, which is also a little bit different than than the folks here. Um, one of the advantages of, of being a REIT really is, is just having REIT qualified income and obviously having that sort of advantage from a, a tax perspective to mm. the investor. You know, when you look at your dividends, if it's, um, if it's a REIT, uh, you basically have a, a little bit of a tax advantage uh, to, the, to the end end user. So that's, that's why we set up that way, it just made it you know, really easy and simple. And then we wanted to have our users be able to cover that, that tax advantage that REIT have. Yeah, and and you do have to be an accredited investor to invest in in any REIT. Is that correct, or or or, speci- or specifically the Wander REIT? Yeah, so it's it's basically for for Wander. It's a it's a Reg D offering, so it's a you know non listed REIT, uh, private, non traded, non listed REIT. Um, you do not need to be an accredited investor to invest in all REITs. So it really depends based on the filing. So if you have you know folks who are you know Reg A or Reg A plus you know and it's still a private non-listed REIT you can invest there, which I believe is how Arrived you know allows for unaccredited investors to invest in their products, um, and of course too you can be a, a public REIT. So if mm-hmm. you go to you know your brokerage, whether it be Robinhood or whatever else, you can go invest in different hospitality REITs or single-family home REITs, whatever that looks like. Um, obviously, you don't need to be an accredited investor to invest in those. Um, however, there are no, as far as I'm aware, uh, there are no public vacation rental REITs. And I think that's sort of the interesting thing that mm-hmm. that all three platforms offer is that if investors are super keen on getting exposure into the vacation rental asset category, this is sort of the the lowest barrier to entry way, either investing through TechFester or Arrived or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you you distilling that for us. Steve, talk to us a little bit about TechFester's model and and how it kind of compares and contrasts to the Wonder Reap model, and then also obviously the the Arrived model. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, first and foremost, to, to echo John Andrew a little bit, I think what Arrived has built has been fantastic when you think about accessibility for you know the space. Right. Um, in fact, Arrived is one of the few leaders that actually allows non-accredited investors to kind of get into this type of asset. Um, and you know, they're and Cameron can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but reggae is not an easy thing to, to navigate and manage. So kudos on that. Um, and with the folks over at Wander and John Ander, I mean, those assets are absolutely gorgeous, right? In terms of asset class and that that luxury type brand and design. So we're, we're actually very similar, and I think we probably comp a little bit closer to Wander when you think about the type of structure. So we're accredited only. We're a Reg D 506 C. You know, we're a portfolio, right? Similar to Wander as well, uh, where you know there's diversification. You don't get to pick the properties that you're investing into. You're investing into a portfolio that owns a certain number of assets. Um, you know, I think a big difference for us that we uh, like to think about at least is. 
you know, we're buying a completely different type of product if you compare us to say Wander. So our average purchase price is going to be a five fifty to six hundred thousand dollar house where you know it's run of the mill. We have several different exit options. Um, our avatar in terms of consumer is less likely to go drop you know fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars a night. Um, and those those properties are going to be about a twenty to twenty five percent gross rent uh, to purchase price ratio. So. Um, we also very much prefer picking up properties that are, you know, as many people would call trash, you know, or they look very run down and then doing the renovations and purpose building and purpose designing from the ground up. Um, and then the intent of our portfolio is to actually package them up, right? Think of, you know, you're walking into Costco and I like to use this example of walking into Costco. You see those big six beautiful muffins there that are probably like, you know, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. And that's exactly what we want institutions to think about when they see our portfolio is this stabilized portfolio of short-term rentals that they can pick up and buy in one transaction, which is actually something that we've seen a lot of demand for, but these institutions can't actually find these portfolios that exist. Um, And I'm I'm sure that John, Andrew, and Cameron can probably attest to these types of things in the marketplace as this this asset class develops even more maturely, you'll start to see a little bit more of that over time. Yeah, it's actually a really remarkable dynamic. I mean, we we recently went through the process of meeting with all like the big private you know, real estate investors, and you have a lot who have this appetite for call it you know two hundred million dollar plus portfolios. And so, what's interesting is it sort of mirrors the early days of single family rental, hmm. where there's a lot of value to be created in putting together these early portfolios, right? That's sort of like where you see. Uh, the the term they use is sort of cap rate compression. A really easy way to think about it is effectively that your exit cap rate or the way that your your properties are valued is um, sort of lower than how it's been assembled, um, which leads to greater returns, obviously. You can think about it as just like a different way to value properties. Um, And so that's certainly starting to happen now, which is really interesting. In fact, I'd say pretty much every group we talk to we probably went through like talking to like 50 of them wow. um, now have a now have an institutional thesis in the space. And so it's only a matter of time, uh, which I think is really interesting. It's sort of like this greenfield opportunity. Now, obviously, you have like the current macro environment, which like slows down the deployment of capital. Um, you know, obviously, like interest rates are like gravity, right? It's like everything, everything gets a little bit more difficult. But it's really it's really exciting to see see that transition start to start to play out. So I think I think people look back in five, 10 years and say that the institutionalization of vacation rentals was pretty obvious. Yo, friends, I want to interrupt this episode for just a few minutes to share this quick story with you. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard me talk about Minoan, a completely free platform to purchase everything that you need for your short term rental. Well, the Minoan team has been a huge, huge supporter of Behind the Stays, and so I asked them if I could interview a few of their customers to get the inside scoop on their honest thoughts about the platform, and they agreed. So have a listen to the following quick story to better understand how Minoan works, how it compares to other offerings in the space, and why so many STR owners and operators trust Minoan to help them furnish their Airbnbs. All right, Maddie. So I want to hear the story behind how For the Love of Upstate began. Can you take us back to to the beginning of this this brand that you've built? Yeah, yeah. So back to the beginning of my Airbnb story in general. Um, So I started with rental arbitrage, worked my way up to save for down payment on a house in Big Bear. We ran that for one winter and then decided to sell it because the real estate market was crazy and we got an (laughs) offer we just couldn't refuse. But then I had this idea of 
Creating a brand of short-term rentals that was consistent and luxury and just like a reliable experience for travelers. And so we were looking for an area that would basically like accept that business model. So it had to be an area that wasn't super saturated, but it also had to have enough deals where we could buy multiple properties um, and not create our own competition. So we came to upstate New York um, to visit and to look at properties and we just like fell in love. Like it was the most beautiful place. It's like neon green here in the summer. It's beautiful in the fall. The winter is fun. So it just seemed like the perfect area for us to build this company. Um, So the portfolio so far is a combination of rental arbitrage, properties we own, properties investors own, properties we own with investors. So we've been able to grow using multiple different methods of financing and partnerships. Um, And we're just at the beginning. We've only really been operating since the beginning of this year. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, first and foremost, yeah. congrats on, on that growth from an idea to, to where you're at today in just a couple of years. I want to talk to you a little bit about Minoan because I know that they've been a part of, of your story and a, and a part of what you're, what you're building. What was it that was attractive to you about their offering? I think the first time I heard about Minoan was through social media. Okay. Um, so like we followed each other, would comment on each other's posts, and then that moved to the DMs. I kind of, kind of got to know their team before I even knew what the product was or what they were offering. And then eventually hopped on a call with Sage, who is amazing. Um, and she walked me through the platform and what the possibilities were. What caught my eye at first was the ability to have a shoppable property because it was something that I had played around with before. Um, but it was very attractive that they already had the infrastructure built so mm. I could piggyback of, off of what they built, but still accomplish what we were looking to do. So that's what first drew us in. And then second, like once we saw the product discounts, we were like, oh, this is a no brainer. Part of the ethos of For the Love of Upstate is having more luxury goods, um, nicer furniture, better amenities, nicer supplies. And using Minoan allows us to have those luxury items while still justifying to investors why we're spending on them. So a $5,000 couch is still a $5,000 couch, but we might have gotten it for $3,500. It was a game changer for us. Um, and I went so crazy at first, like bought all the nice things. And those are the things that guests notice, the things that I bought on Minoan that I spent extra on, but in reality saved on are the things that the guests really like, like nicer mattresses, beautiful couches, Smeg appliances, um, they've made all the difference and the guests totally notice. And then the customer service is just like next level. A huge part of setting up an Airbnb is going through the inventory and seeing what's damaged or what didn't get there or what you changed your mind about. And that was like, used to be my least favorite part of the entire process, like printing out labels and scheduling pickups and driving to FedEx to the point where I just sometimes wouldn't do it. I'd be like, whatever, we'll keep it. We'll put it in the garage. (laughs) Um, But Manoa makes it so easy. Like I just email them a picture. I'm like, hey, the TV's broken. And they reply with like, hey, here's the label. FedEx will be here at this time. Tell us where you leave the box. Um, And it has just been so, so easy. My last question for you, Maddie, is is about, you know, what's next for for the love of upstate? What does the next year to to two years look like for you all? Yeah, yeah. The next year we're really focused on growing in upstate New York. Um, We have five properties that are either up and running or under construction. Um, But we're kind of now moving like rapid fire speed on acquiring more and more properties because we have investors ready to deploy with us. And then I think after a year or so continuing to grow up here, we would love to expand into another area, like for the love of whatever that may be. Mm. Um, 
because of my partner and I, we love moving around. We've always moved to where our Airbnbs are. So I think that continuing to grow our business in upstate New York and then choosing a new area will be really fun for us. If folks who are listening to this conversation just want to learn a little bit more about you and, and follow your story, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, on Instagram, we are at Skylar and Maddie. And on TikTok, we are at Maddie and Skylar. We couldn't get the same one on both. <laughs> I love it. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks, so you just heard about how great Minoan is. And again, it is totally free. So as soon as this episode is over, head on over to the link in the show notes below and create your free Minoan account. And when you do so, be sure to tell them that Zach from Behind the Stays sent you their way. All right, guys, back to the episode we go. My, ne- my next question, which is just around th- like the timing, right? Like what, from, from each of your perspectives, why why is like now the the appropriate time to to be building the respective companies that that you're building? You know, Airbnb's been around since you know '08. Uh, this this idea of of the traveler ex- looking for unique experiences, more experiential stays, is maybe you know in the last few years we, we've seen kind of a, a big uptick on that uh, in terms of just like consumer desire and consumer interest. But like from your all's perspectives and your company's perspectives. Why is like now the time to build Wander, and why is now the time to build TechVestor and, and Arrived? Let's actually start with you, Cameron, if you don't mind. Um, w- w- from from your all's perspective, why why does it make sense to be building Arrived right now? Yeah, I think it comes down to accessibility and affordability, right? With interest rates the way they are, it's super difficult to buy even your own personal residence, yeah. much less investment properties. Um, so there's been the technology that's evolving as well as the regulatory capabilities that allow us to deliver the product to the the public at large. So this was only as recent as about 2015, did the legislation uh, of Reg A plus even mm-hmm. come alive to facilitate such companies like Masterworks and things to be able to offer these types of fractional investments. Mm-hmm. So the space is still really young, right? We're in their first call it decade of being able to offer at mass non-accredited investors the opportunity to invest. Um, so with Arrived, you know, our thesis is very much in residential, uh, whether it be vacation rentals, long-term rentals, there's just a systemic shortage, right? Yeah. So to the extent that, you know, why now for Arrived, you know, in our current landscape, I think that those accessibility issues um, are a big part of it. There's a, a stat out there that really the company's kind of predicated on. There about 61% of adults in the US have equity in stocks and traditional 401k type investments. And then a very small single digit percentage own investment real estate. And, and if you look at a survey though, you know, where are investor preferences? A lot of people believe that real estate is the best way to build long-term wealth, yet you have a small single digit percentage of people that mm-hmm. are able to own that in the first place. So that's kind of the the why of Arrived and maybe more specifically, why for vacation rentals? Why did we pivot into them about a year ago? So I think that vacation rentals is one of the few real estate residential asset classes where you can get outperformance on operations. So a lot of long-term rentals and a lot of core housing they deliver a little bit more commodity-like returns. We, you know, we're talking about cap rate compression. We're talking about the homogenization of a lot of the market. So there's a narrower range of returns that are available within core housing, but on vacation rentals, you know, it's very much a operational heavy business that has the capability to deliver out returns in alpha. 
So I look at a lot of tech investors product. I'm like, man, that thing must be a moneymaker, right? And you just can't get some of those returns um, by buying, you know, your four bedroom, two and a half bath DR Horton new home in residential area. Now where that outperformance may come is on appreciation, right? Mm. But that's five years, 10 years down the line. It's hard to really reap in that alpha during the operations period where you're generating rental income. So Arrive saw a really great opportunity to get into the vacation rental space to find that diversified batch of you know, outperformance uh, that we could deliver in the residential space. For, for, uh, beautiful, uh, very well said. Really appreciate that. That all that context, Cameron and John, Andrea, and uh, see if, if you guys want to respond to that. I want to give you an opportunity to do so in a second here. But, but Cameron, uh, talk to us a little bit about what you know about like Here's model. And it, from from my understanding, you know, Here's model seems somewhat akin to what you guys are doing in the vacation rental space. For, from your understanding. It, first and foremost, is is that true? And or are there some like noteworthy differences between your understanding of what here is doing versus what arrived is doing specifically in the, the vacation rental market? Yeah, I think that it is a very similar game plan. I believe they're also a reg A um, model where they're offering non-accredited investors the opportunity to invest in vacation rentals. Uh, they're also doing it by property individuals. Yeah. So um, you know, we call them IPOs, individual property offerings, but, and there's kind of a, you know, double meaning there because it very much is similar to an initial public offering where you're buying stocks because the way that we structure it is we spin up companies. That company is the deed holder of the actual property. And then you buy shares of uh, the company, right? So it's very much like buying shares of Apple where you're a, a passive investor, um, segregated from the operations. So I do believe that here has a very similar model. And within vacation rentals, I believe that's the only space that they plan, whereas Arrive's core offering is primarily long-term rentals, where vacation rentals is more of a recent offering for us. Fantastic. Seif, uh, just want to get you into the conversation here too. Uh, I don't know if there's anything that Cameron said that you want to uh, expand upon or just answering that that kind of core question around why you think like now is the time for for TechFester to to be able to shine. Like what is it about the current market that you that you feel so so bullish on in, in really kind of building a, a, a new kind of company? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think everything Cameron hit on is like right on the money. Um, and I think that's why Arrived and Wander and TechFest are all going to find success in this in this space over the next decade, right? Um, even this conversation that John Andrew had around institutions. But when you think about the market conditions today, you know, I think there's four or five things that we really look at as like big macros that are driving consumer and investor behavior. The first one is really about this push for mobility. Like we don't consider remote work, we consider mobility, right? The average human today is significantly more mobile than they were pre-pandemic, hmm. right? Um, based on their ability to work, play, and live really wherever they want to do. Um, and oftentimes they are traveling with larger groups, especially post-pandemic, which is another reason why we focus on larger homes, right? Four bedrooms, five bedrooms with pools in several different areas across the country um, and those types of things. And then you also have these investors who are chasing yield, right? Chasing cash flow, chasing um, the ability to make money today and cash flow as a priority rather than long-term appreciation, um, especially with where inflation is at, where interest rates are at. Um, and naturally, they seek alternatives because that's oftentimes where outsized returns are found. And kind of echoing what Cameron said, there's absolutely an advantage in operating. Oftentimes, we tell our investors it's not really the asset, it's the operator, hmm. right? And I think that's oftentimes... You know, if you had two, we, we actually did a quick study on this. We bought two properties in the same market. We handed one off to a third-party property manager designed in a very similar way with the same amenities, bought the same property or a similar property, same type of property within about two blocks away. And we managed it, designed it, did everything ourselves. And we delivered about 3x the revenue, wow. right? 
Um, very similar property, but the operator makes a huge difference. Revenue management, asset management, it cannot be understated, right, of, of how important that, that is. Um, and then I think the, the other thing is we believe that a lot of folks today are seeking what we call logic-based investing, right? And what I mean by this is they want to look at a property that, like ours, like you're talking about, or how Cameron kind of commented very positively on tech investor design, say the home, and you look at that against, say, a competitor in that market, and it should be very obvious that that property should outperform this other property, right? As we like to call mom and pop industries, whereas another kind of avenue where you see a lot of outsized operations as an advantage. So. I think those are those are all things that each of these companies here do very very well. Is you know they understand they execute. I think more importantly than ever, and I think investors are seeking the the trust of of someone to actually lead that and do it for them more more than ever as well. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. That test is super, super interesting. Uh, that that you guys that you guys ran, and it, it'd be interesting too to to kind of like understand is is it really, especially as it pertains to the vacation rental industry, is it because you guys at your core have adopted sort of like a hospitality mindset versus just just viewing it as sort of a investment property, and it, like is that the core difference, right? Like the operators that understand that like, no, like you're really more in like the hotel business than you are in just like the real estate investment business. And is that the kind of like core differentiator in, you know, why a property with respect to, you know, it looks exactly like the one down the street, why why it does outperform it at such a significant rate? Is it is it really just about framing and like mindset of how how you're viewing what business you're you're really in? I think it's really two things, right? Um, I think the first thing is we believe a big problem in the industry is the relationship between property managers and owners, mm. right? And the industry itself is fragmented, right? Mm. Property managers and owners don't actually have the same interests in mind. And when we first started, we actually didn't know that, right? We were we were not going to be a vertically integrated company. And what we realized very quickly is that the providers and the spaces that we were going to provide, on, that we were going to partner with on a national level, didn't have that same focus, for lack of a better word, on the same outcomes that we cared about, right? Mm. So we were forced to vertically integrate. And honestly, I, I don't know if we could have done it any other way, right? Reflecting back, I think that was the one of the most anxious times in our, in our company's uh, history, but also probably one of the best at the same time. And then I think in addition to this, you have you know companies at our scale, we build proprietary and custom tooling on the back end so we can understand data significantly better than your average consumer, right? And the reason we do this is we don't run one property, right? Most tools today on the market are for 
you know, someone who runs one property, maybe a couple, right? Even property managers have different needs for tools than we do, right? So we can tell you down to the day of seasonality, the chance that a property can book. We can tell you our weekend occupancy versus weekday occupancy by market, by property. Um, I can tell you how we're pacing. I can tell you significantly more insights, Hmm. right? Because we collect our own data, we harvest our own data, we ingest our own data. And that tech component allows us really to make outsized decisions. Right. And oftentimes in this space, and we all know this dynamic pricing is a big thing. It's not about making pricing decisions in real time. It's about making them in advance of time, mm-hmm. right? Because you get that demand of pricing, right? Typically further ahead. Um, that's how dynamic pricing typically works in this industry. Yeah, su- super, super helpful there. Uh, John Andrew, I want to bring you in here. Um, you guys, Wander has been vertically integrated uh, for, from day one. Uh, as you think about Wander's role in in the marketplace today, and why why now is the time for for Wander? Uh, what what comes to mind? Why why do you and the team feel like this is this is the moment to build a company like Wander? Yeah, I mean there are a bunch of like typical why nows in the industry, right? You have sort of like the unlock of institutional data. You have you know certain you know shifts from a a demand perspective obviously vacation rentals becoming a a larger and larger portion of hospitality etc you know for for us like i I think people sometimes get confused as to like what what wander is actually trying to build um you know really i think that you can't find many people who haven't had a bad vacation rental experience I, i think that like that's probably the common thread right um, and Wander is really looking to solve that. And we really do look at it as a effectively a distributed hotel. And that's really the model we're, we're working towards. And so when you look at everything that we built around the REIT and our booking platform and you know, our property management software and all that sort of fun stuff, it's all in service of solving that, that customer problem of being able to book any home on the platform and having a truly wonderful experience. And so you know, for us, that big why now is like that, that problem just wasn't being solved. Mm. Um, and I don't think that, you know, the Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton was going to enter into the space. I don't think that Airbnb was going to start, you know, taking on property management and ownership. Um, and so that's that's sort of why we did it. It really was just to solve that, that customer problem. Um, and of course, you create a, a lot of value by doing so. But that's really our big focus is just on the customer experience. When, when you think about uh, again, and please correct me if I'm wrong here. From from my perspective, when I when I look at Wander and its portfolio, right, it, it's not massive yet, right? And, and you guys have been pretty, I think, intentional about growing, at least for a time, a, a little bit more slowly, so you could deliver this like beautiful and, and truly exceptional product. I think anyone can look at a Wander property and and agree that it's it's beautiful, and you get you know you get a Tesla with it, and I mean, there's there's so many just really kind of like. Uh, outlandish in some respects kind of amenities that you guys have thrown in i i, I am curious right about about growth right because because you could have done something you, you guys could have just gone and acquired a bunch of you know luxury homes right in in popular markets and then you know wanderified them uh, if you will but but it seems like you guys have been been just quite diligent um and 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 discerning maybe for lack of a better word in the the homes that you guys acquire how you renovate them etc why why is that like what, what, what are you guys planning like will there be a month where there are 15 wanders launched in like one month is that like a goal or are we really are you guys really focused at least for right now on building uh, a very intentional and 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 you know a, a slower growth portfolio 
Yeah, I think that intentionality when you're purchasing real estate is hypercritical. Um, yeah. Like there, there really is like no way to go, or at least in short-term rentals, right? To go and just be like, okay, we're going to buy 500 homes, like, and then just do it in a month. Like you really need to understand each specific asset. You need to understand what the expenses are, your cost basis. Like there are so many different pieces that you need to understand. And of course, if you misstep, then if, like it's just a non-performing property. Hmm. Um, so that's why like Wander has been like relatively slow in that respect. It's just being like hyper, hyper diligent, um, especially when you're investing other people's money. I mean, we scaled our portfolio on balance sheet to start. And then only once we had performant assets did we contribute them into the re for for shareholders to yeah. to participate in um but yeah it really boils down to that is like making sure the unit economics are positive making sure the guest experience is solid making sure that we have faith in our underwriting <laughs> and now the the speed that we're ramping up is starting to change i think last month we added five new properties this month we, we should be a little bit over that and really really starting to ramp up from there but at the end of the day i mean like you know, investing in real estate is not like, um, you can't fire from the hip. Like you have to move slow. You have to be very, very careful. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's what I would say to that, that perspective, just being like risk adverse. Um, because yeah, it's, it's not, it's not like you can just go buy anything off the street and make money. Especially, especially considering that like the core product offering that, that Wander at least today is offering are, are these larger, more, more luxurious homes. Right. And, and, and all the, you know, reason why you, you, you'd want to be especially diligent. See if I think you wanted to get in here and, and comment on something that John Andrew said. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to, you know, triple echo what John Andrew is talking about. I think that's something that each company here arrived Wander Techfester does intimately well. Um, I mean, speaking for ourselves, we underrate you know, hundreds of thousands of properties a month through our technology and our software, just on a, on a face level. And 96% of the time, the deal doesn't work. Right. Mm. Um, so it's about like minuscule, hyper local, especially in the short term rental space. It's, it's also about density and scale. And I think what oftentimes people maybe don't realize right away is you're operating a business wrapped around in real estate. Right. So like understanding like labor, labor, right. Um, market dynamics, can I buy more in this market? Right. Something we really care about is not can I buy one, can I buy 20? Right. What's the real estate supply in this market look like? Right. Because once you get to certain elements of scale in a market, you actually unlock other additional efficiencies, hmm. right? Whether it's label labor or shared resources or pricing power or all these types of things. And you know, it's there's a thousand and one things that go into deciding whether you buy this property or you don't. Uh, and I'm sure each one of us here has probably our own internal version of committee for how we think about buying properties and underwriting and, you know, what are the risks associated in reviewing inspection reports and like really figuring out who the avatar is. And I think something that often is forgotten in, in, in this space that actually Airbnb values very much and just Verbo and the short-term rental industries, each company here is optimizing for a user journey. And I know that's a tech term, right? In many cases, but most operators aren't aren't actually doing that, right? We know who our avatar is. We're designing for that because we're not the user of our homes, right? We know who the right consumer is. While oftentimes most people with second homes are designing for themselves. They're amenitizing for themselves and their families, which oftentimes is a conflict between who they are and who the right avatar is in that market, right? So all those differences and all those factors absolutely make this a hyper-local decision. No market is the same. Yeah, super. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Cameron. Yeah, I would love to um, just kind of synthesize a few thoughts that I've heard that I think are, are spot on that um, Safe and John Andrew have been talking about. 
you know, you could, we could put a lot of diligence into acquiring the properties and understanding them. And then if we hand them over to third-party management, there's a gap there, hmm. right? Because you put all this thought and all this, you know, you have this vision. And then when you operate it with a third-party property manager, we found that that's where the disconnect is, right? Because they are managing to however many different owners. So you have a game plan that ends up a little bit more vanilla, Right, you lose some of that magic touch that is special to each of the assets that you so painstakingly acquired and designed. So arrived has been moving more towards internal management. We expanded at first with um, a lot of different locations, and we to scale hired a lot of third-party property managers. And then what ended up happening was that we were doing a lot of the same work because not every manager offered the same suite of services. Yeah. Utility management is a great example. You know, if you if you can't rely on your third party property managers to manage utilities for all your properties, then you might as well manage all of them internally yourself because you have to build the process out if they can't handle it all. So, um, you know, a lot of uh, parallels in our business as we've been learning for the last year with our own vacation rental portfolio. But I mean, I think uh, John, Andrew, and CFR are, are spot on about kind of that vertically integrated playbook is really the playbook to be uh, striving for hmm. because you do have to very much connect your ops with your thesis of why you purchased the property. Whereas with core housing, it's a little bit more forgiving to say, hey, this is a great spot, location, location, location. Here you go, third-party property manager, yeah. unfurnished, rental. You know, It's very much a uh, commodity type business. Requires tight execution. Don't get me wrong on that. However, the, the upside on those is much smaller than say, the upside of a really well-run vacation rental. Hmm. You're actually beginning to touch, Cameron, on a question I have for you around just how how strategy has shifted. Uh, in you know we're three quarters of our way through uh, and and some change through 2023 here, right? Um, 2021, 2020, 2022, right? Like these were these were big years for the short-term rental industry and the vacation rental industry, right? You have all seen the headlines around Airbnb bust and people, you know, pulling data from interesting places and riffing on it on 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 X. And you've, I think a lot of those have uh, has been, you know, debunked and or it's it's a one, you know, tiny piece of data that looks really good on a headline. And then as you dig into it, it's not quite, you know, what what it looks like at face value. Uh, that said, I, I do think hopefully all three of you would agree that things are a little bit different than maybe they were even a year and a half, two years ago. I'd love your thoughts, Cameron, and then this is a question I want to uh, ping to to you, Seif, and and then John John Andrew, you as well. How how has Arrive's business model changed and 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 shifted uh, in 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 this year, right? With respect to kind of the last last couple of years, it sounds like a big shift that you guys made was getting into vacation rentals to begin with, right? Now it sounds like you're also realizing, hey, vertically integrating makes a little bit more sense. It, are these recent kind of 2023 thoughts and or were these kind of in the works, uh, these plans in the works long before that? And if so, or I should say, if not, what what are a couple things that you guys have done differently this year and that you plan to carry into 2024 than in the last couple of years? Yeah, so to kind of echo on my last answer, going all in on internal management. So every marginal property that we're acquiring, uh, is more likely to go to the arrived internal management. Depends on the locations. There are some that we're not ready to operate yet. So we're still um, either scaling back acquisitions in those markets or um, you know reducing the number of property managers we work with and consolidating them to a couple of best-in-class operators. So that's been a big change for us. Um, and I think that to echo John Andrews' statement about intentionality of the asset, you know, 
we just have to be a lot more careful because supply is really low mm. right now. Um, so we're that's a little bit at odds with wanting to grow as well. But right now we're really focused on operations. Yeah. So there's not a ton of great deals in the market right now. Um, prices are heating up a little bit, you know, I'd say they're flattish, but they, they're heating up a little bit. So we're really just focused on our operations to get as good as tech investor in wander, um, and, uh, hope to continue that going forward. But I think that we're also looking to be more, um, experiential, right? Mm. I do think that there are a lot of properties, more supply that have come online, right? So, so there is some truth to, you know, not necessarily an Airbnb bust, but not all parts of the market are equal. So I think that in the median, if you were to look at just take, you know, the median home in any market for a vacation rental, I doubt it's doing as well as it was two years ago. But as we say at Arrive, the best looking slice of the pie always gets eaten first. So if you can create those really great vacation rentals, I think that the top operators mm. have probably seen an increase in the lion's share of the amount of revenue that they're taking in um, you know, proportionally to the market. So we're really focused on finding those and engineering those experiences that that can be that first slice of pie eaten, or maybe the second, <laughs> you know, next to TechVestor and Wander. But with that said, um, that's our focus. Well said, uh, Seif. What are what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Cam kind of hit it pretty pretty well on the head, right? I, I think also when you look at just data in general, data can be manipulated in really whatever way you want to look at it. Um, I think we saw that with the, the fears that Airbnb bus going around, but I think we also have to remember that not all supply is created equal, right? Um, the ideal supply in a market is very different than overall supply, and a great example of this is. Um, in one of our markets, there's over 30,000 plus Airbnbs, but our direct comp set is actually sub 250, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at, wow, 30,000 Airbnbs are in this market and then another Airbnb gets added, you start freaking out. But when you look at professionally managed, this type of occupancy with this type of like singular amenity, or even something that just simply allows pets as an example, all of a sudden your comp set is drastically different in who you're competing with on pricing and amenities and pricing power and all these types of things. And, you know, I think not to mention 80% plus of short-term rentals today are not professionally managed. I think we've all hit on the fact of the importance of actually internal management today as well and how powerful that can be. So not only are, you know, that's what 99% of the market isn't internally managed or professionally managed. Um, and that's before you start getting into the amenities and the design and the, and the hospitality and the guest experience and the revenue management strategies and all these little dominoes that you can actually add. So, you know, for us, we've, we've actually seen revenue increase year over year by about double digits right across our same store properties, as we like to call them, um, or same properties year over year. And I think that's, you know, a couple things coming into, into play. It's you have um, dynamic pricing further ahead, right? These are more stabilized assets year over year. You have those reviews, you have a ranking. There's a ton of things that get kind of go into it. And I think you'll start to see the bottom 20, 30% of supply eventually drop off because being an Airbnb host is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It's a job, right? And I think that's actually a big thing that we all solve here within our own respective companies is the problem of time, money, and outsized returns for the exchange of that time and money. Right. And that's really kind of the the big thing that we're looking at. But for us, we're we're doubling down on markets. A huge advantage we have at the size of portfolio with you know almost 120 doors is we have firsthand data. Right. It's not about what we go out and see what's on AirDNA or on these other data sources. And while we absolutely use these data sources as directionally correct, I can look at my own portfolio and say we have 30 properties in this market. 
what's working, what's not, how do I replicate it? How do I improve it? How do I find these efficiencies? Right. Um, and that's the best, most confident data that we can get because we are the ones who are bringing it in. It's not, it's not been scraped. It's not been scrubbed. It's not been, you know, delineated in any other fashion. Um, and you, know, I think those are kind of things that are beginning continued trends for 2024 is doubling down on what we know works. It's kind of going to be a meat and potatoes error for us over the, the next couple months. Yeah, very, very well said. And it sounds like, you know, this common thread too is is really a doubling down on 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 operations, getting really, really understanding what's working, why it's working, what's working well, and using this the, this season where maybe there's there's not enough supply that makes sense given your respective business models. Uh, but right, you're using this time incredibly well, so that when 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 we're in a different, a slightly different chapter, and all of a sudden there is a lot of supply that does make sense, you've got kind of the the, the house built well, so you can continue to kind of expand uh, your portfolios accordingly, which is which is incredibly wise. John Andrew, what about you guys? As as Wander has has grown over the last couple of years, I believe you guys launched. Was it in October of 2021? Is that is that accurate, or fall 2021 at some time? January 2022 is oh, when the, okay. the platform went live. Yeah. Okay, great, great. So, so again, you guys, you guys went live uh, at, at right, right in the thick of all of this. So, talk to us a little bit about how 2023, and as you think about 2024, how how is that different from what 2022 looked like for Wander? Yeah, absolutely. So, Wander has been fortunate to see again very similar to it seems like Techfester, uh, same store growth that's you know really promising. Um, strong occupancy, you know, strong yields, um, you know, like guests who love the experience, et cetera. You know, what I would say though, is, is that like, you, you can't look at the data and sort of the macro shifts and like broadly say that there's like no softening in the market. Like it's, it's pretty clear. Um, and then from a supply side perspective and, and even from a purchasing and investing perspective with rates where they are, you now have a much higher cost of capital than you did in the historic lows of 2020, 2021. Like there's just no two ways around that. And with a higher cost of capital, that means that investor demands from a yield perspective are higher, which obviously, you know, should slow down inflows as they move to treasuries and beyond. And then you're also, of course, you know, looking at, um, you know, a lower, uh, lower levered return uh, if if your cost of capital is, is much higher, right? These are just like the basics of real estate investing. It doesn't matter what asset category you're investing in, whether it's like vacation rentals or single family homes or uh, like commercial real estate is particularly not doing too great uh, right now. Um, you know, and so with that said, like you kind of have to ask yourself, or at least like I do, is like why why are Wander's numbers looking good? Uh, and like, is is there like some something that I'm not paying attention to, or like what are the key risks? Mm. And ultimately, like I think the thing that's you know like protected us from a thesis perspective was that from the beginning we thought of these places as again like you know it's a hospitality asset class, right? It's like these you have to have places that people want to stay, otherwise like they're just going to leave um, or they're not going to go. And so you want to have these, these locations that um, are highly desirable sort of first to fill as, you know, Cameron, you know, sort of talked about the importance of quality of the asset, et cetera. Um, and I think that's been like the big like protector for, for Wander is just that like, when you look at our properties, you say, I want to go here and that's what the consumer does. And obviously like that's what leads to, to your returns and your occupancy and, you know, all that sort of fun stuff. So, 
Yeah, I think that like, again, like the real estate market right now is not great. I mean, you can listen to like, you know, Barry from Starwood or whoever else like on CNBC, like talking (laughs) about those different factors and they're certainly not wrong. Um, But at the end of the day, like great properties perform, great operators perform, and there are certainly headwinds in the industry, but ultimately like my advice to anyone watching who has their own short-term rental, who's trying to navigate or beyond, is really focus on your expenses, really focus on your amenity sets, any of the low hanging fruit from a marketing perspective. And then just know as well that you, know, you may want to diversify some of your marketing channels as well. If you're solely relying on Airbnb, maybe you want to cross list to a VRBO or whatever else. Um, so that's like my, my big advice to, to anyone listening, any of the, uh, the hospitality entrepreneurs. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. Very, very well said. I, I want to, as we get close to time here, there's a couple of final questions I want to ask you, each of you. And actually, John Andrew, I'll start with you since you sort of alluded to this uh, in, in what you were saying just a second ago. Well, what what is it that like really keeps you up at night when you when you think about like the wonder business right and you think about oh gosh like in, in any business let alone asset heavy businesses which all three of you are are, are in right it, it's um it, it's challenging right and and as as folks say like most startups fail but like what specifically is it about wonder and and sort of your your growth trajectory and your vision for the company what what is it right now that it's like keeping you up at night most Yeah, it's certainly true that most startups fail. It's like 95 plus percent. Um, So we're under like no like illusions, right? (laughs) Of like the challenges that you have ahead of you. You know, for us, and like, this is going to sound a little bit silly. um, Customers like truly love the product. Like we get emails and notes and tweets and it's like, you can just watch like some of the wander customer stories and like realize that it's like, Hey, like, again, I'm sure that the same is true for everyone else here. Like you're, you're, you're creating these incredible memories for your users. Hmm. Um, and now like, as we've de-risked the business, have positive unit economics, starting to see repeatability, like all the, the different pieces that need to come together for building a great company. Then the question is like, can they actually do it? Hmm. Right. Like if all the basics are there, if there's positive unit economics, customers love them, there's like a generally okay thesis, like then the question is like, can they scale? Can they create a truly great company? Can they be that 0.1% that actually makes it? And I think the thing that scares me is that like, I think at this point now, if, if Wander failed, like just like up and failed, I think that 
people wouldn't say like, oh, that was like an absolutely stupid idea at this point. I think they would say like, you know, John Andrew fucked up. Uh, <laughs> so that's like, that's what keeps me up at night is like just continuing to execute, continue to serve like our shareholders and our customers and like, just be like paranoid about like, what am I missing and what could go wrong? Uh, and just doing everything I can to, to make sure that, um, you know, the hopefully positive effect that Wander has for, for our users and for our customers and, and for, for future ones, uh, gets to, gets to stick around as long as possible. I know, I know we're, we're super early here, but, um, when, when you do think about you know, a, an off ramp, if you ever do think about an off ramp, right? What, what, what sort of exit strategy could, could you imagine might make sense for Wander? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Wander is a VC backed company and, you know, I, I think very similar to arrive and I'm not sure if TechVestor is or, or isn't, um, no, um, you know, for us, obviously like our investors are going to expect some type of exit, whether it be an acquisition or an IPO. You know, my goal is to be able to run this company as long as I can, you know, until I'm like old and crusty and, and fall over. Um, but we'll sort of see like what, what things look like. Um, you know, I think as Wander grows, what you have is this, you know, again, branded vacation rental, very similar to a distributed hotel with a brand standard and quality standards that you know, could be an attractive answer for a, you know, call it a, a Marriott or a Hilton or whatever else. Um, so I would say if there was like a premature acquisition, it would probably be from some type of strategic group interested in, in getting into this asset category. Um, if not, then definitely the goal would be to IPO. Fantastic. All right, Steve, uh, you're, you're in the hot seat now. What, what, what's keeping you up at night when you think about TechVestor? And then, and then as you think about a possible exit strategy at, at some point, what, what do you imagine that that could look like? Yeah, you know, I think for for us, and this has been kind of our thesis from the beginning, is we call it the three T's internally, right? Team, technology, and traction, right? And it always starts with team. So can we hire and retain the best possible people to operate? Because we believe that this is an operating heavy business. And, you know, you mentioned this being an asset heavy business. I actually think it's more of an operating heavy business, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning the right people in the right place and the right seats. And I think we've been privileged at this point to both attract and retain some some of what I would like to believe is some of the best talent in the space. And I think it shows in our performance, right? In our execution, in our, I think a common thing we get is how can you even do this, right? Um, and we make the impossible seem possible at times, right? Especially when you're scaling things that aren't supposed to scale. Um, but those also pose risks in the future, right? You have labor inefficiencies you have phys i think the one thing that sits me up at night mostly is like labor inefficiencies and physical the physical world right i think mm. all of us who have these tech advantages oftentimes see things from a specifically like a tech tunnel vision right and we forget about that blue collar efforts on the ground ultimately run our business right so how can we continue to serve those those people as part of our infrastructure how can we continue to upskill that level of our infrastructure um, and ensure that the the right people are in the right place. But, you know, I think with us, I think also time will tell, you know, in contrary to say Wander arrived, we're not venture backed, right? So for us, um, profitability from day one was hypercritical, right? Um, understanding our unit economics and driving towards certain things and doing things that didn't scale from day one was part of our initial DNA. Um, and it's not to say that these companies weren't thinking about profitability, Right. Um, it was that we just didn't have a choice to, to fall back on. Yeah. Right. In any sort of way. And, and, you know, I think John Andrew is right on the money. You know, when you have venture, right, and you've taken that capital, there's also the expectation of that exit. 
you know, yeah. for us, we're a little bit of a, in a different boat because we could theoretically hold forever, right? It's a, it's a possibility. Um, we don't have anyone who, or any external party on our cap table that's saying, this is what we need to go do, right? Or a, an expectation of a return when you think about tech investor or the company. Now, our investors, of course, are a little bit of a different story, right? We have an expectation to eventually disposition, to package, or to manage effectively over the long period of time. And, you know, we have fixed rate debt to give us the flexibility to do what we need to do for 30 years if we have to, right? So really hedging responsibly. But ultimately speaking, I think the likely exit is going to be an institutional buyer, very similar to how John Andrew kind of positioned it. And I think for us, we're a little bit more in the unbranded uh, you know, category. Hmm. Um, and while we could brand in the future, you know, I think Wander's product is insanely brand- well-branded right, for what they do and kind of their thesis and ethos on the space. And I think for us, we think more of, of scaling units, yeah. right, in terms of density and population, you know, two different strategies that I think both will find um, eventual buyers for in terms of the prop co-side of the business. Um, and of course, you know, people often don't understand that these businesses often have operating companies and also property companies. And those are two very different exits, hmm. right? So the Wander can actually sell its entire portfolio, same with TechVestor. Um, or arrive can package up its short its short term rentals and sell them off to an institution without actually selling the business, yeah. right? And so yeah. fragmenting these exits is actually a very big possibility in the future. And you know, we sold eight properties in twenty twenty two to the retail market to understand kind of appetite and demand. And we were shocked to see how many people wanted a turnkey short term rental, right? Kind of done for you. Those kind of flew off the shelves and. Um, you know, echoing John Andrew's earlier comment about institutions, you know, in the space we've spoken to dozens of them and, you know, similar messages. This is something that we were very much interested in buying, but we'd never go build, hmm. right? This is a brick by brick, slow burning, you can't accelerate it any further type thing without making a lot of mistakes that each one of these companies here is uh, doing really, really well. Fantastic. Cameron, uh, bring us home here with, uh, with, uh, arrived, uh, arrived, uh, exit strategy, but then, but then first and foremost, like the, the thing that's keeping you up at night, like for, with respect to the business today. Yeah. You know, we, we thread a lot of needles. There's a lot of stakeholders that we have, and there's a lot of complex regulatory, um, waters that we have to navigate. So not only do we, as a SEC kind of regulated company have to worry about kind of the public at large and satisfying all of the SEC's requirements, but we have different investment products that expose us to different sets of risk. So mm-hmm. for example, on the long-term rental side, many jurisdictions are becoming a lot more tenant friendly. We saw the eviction more uh, kind of moratoriums and the hangover from those policies. I mean, it takes nearly 12 months to process evictions in the greater Atlanta area. So you have a lot of these challenges in a large surface area of a risk where the v- attack vectors are coming at you from all different sides. On the short-term rental side, you know, it's no surprise that non-owner occupied regulations are pretty strict with a lot of different jurisdictions. So we face the challenge on that side. So, you know, really what keeps me up at night is trying to thread all these needles on both the operating experience to de- to deliver good returns to investors and then just arrive to be able to chart through the waters of public investing with, hmm. you know, the public at large. You know, there's a lot of um you know, again, needles to thread there with working with the SEC to deliver these products to the public. And kind of counterintuitively, it makes things much more difficult than delivering to a Reg D investor, right? To an accredited investor, because we are very exposed to the public. So even printing something as forecasted returns, that's very, you know, uh, dangerous waters for us to start getting into. So I think that 
getting to critical mass, despite all of this um, surface area of the risk is one of the most challenging things about what we do hmm. as a kind of a reg A space operator. Um, but if we do, you know, end up doing quite well in the public space, I think that there's a lot of um, benefits that come with that in that you start getting some network effects, right? You start accumulating the investor who's that learning investor. And, you know, it's not just their dollars that are valuable, it's their time and attention. Yeah. So as we grow the platform, we're trying to see how can we become not only a great place for real estate investments, but more of a financial ecosystem for people to find alternatives, you know, to the stock market, alternatives to traditional banking and investing. How can they come to arrived and with real estate at its core, have a financial suite of products that really help them in their lives. So I think that's the exciting part about what Arrive can become. And if we do get to that spot, I, you know, like John Andrew, you know, we're we're venture backed, so um, an IPO is always a good benchmark to you know try to aspire to. Um, so you know, we're not focused on that. We're still only um, have gone done a Series A race, so we're we're very far from yeah. that finish line. But with that said. You know, if we can thread all those needles and continue to do it well, I do think that there's a lot of value in um, capturing a retail market. Well, gentlemen, this has been a incredible conversation. I really appreciate each of you taking the time out of your busy lives to chat with us today. For those listening in, we will have links to all these fine folks' websites and their social handles and all the fun stuff. So if you want to go learn a little bit more about what Wander Techvester and Arrived are up to, and or you want to just go connect with any of these great founders and leaders at these respective companies, you can do so in the show notes below. John Andrew, Seif, and Cameron, thank you so much for your time. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.